0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. OK, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please
1: moving. please moving. play oh, the you're not oh, see i got to this made a mistake. I think I'm bang on there. And Okay, gentlemen, play ball! Watch your hair! Good jacket, guys! good
0: play! It's the end of September. Fall is in the air. I know I've mentioned this a couple of times before, Josh, but it still seems strange to me that we are approaching the end of the season as opposed to getting excited for the beginning of the season. It's the way 2020 has gone,
1: things have been a bit upside down but it's also the Stanley Cup final and i'm really excited that it's here. It's 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 here. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to be sad when the cup final ends. Especially like like you mentioned, you know, we go into fall, the winter transition, you look forward to returning to the ice, the you know, the weather cools down and hockey's going away as that happens. And yeah. and right now i don't know when the next season'll start, but i'm going to enjoy however much more hockey we've got left in this 2020 Stanley Cup final.
0: That's, I think, part of the worry that some of us have kind of in the back of our mind. But let's let's put that aside for the moment because we're a couple of games into the Stanley Cup Final. We have two great teams in the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars that are competing and both have given and sacrificed so much, not just for the last eight weeks in a bubble, but previous to that through this season to get to this point. Let's give them their due. And of course, recognizing the contributions of the other team, the other team out on the
1: ice, the important team, (laughs) of course. You can't forget the officials, and, and they've been paying their dues as well, working, and, and for half these guys, migrating bubbles. They started in Toronto, and then, then they converged in Edmonton. So you've got guys who've been in two bubbles over the course of the postseason. It's a long run, and you know, congrats to the guys picked to work the Stanley Cup Final. Long haul for them, too, and I'm sure that they're enjoying themselves and they're appreciative of this opportunity and happy to be a part of the Stanley Cup Final, but also looking forward to getting home and, and getting back with the family.
0: I'm sure that they all will after spending so much time in the bubbles. This, of course, is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's powered by Team Stripes, your source for training tools, apparel, officiating equipment, whatever you need to learn more about being an official and to have all the right gear. Check them out online, GoTeamStripes.com, GoTeamStripes.com. We appreciate your feedback and questions. Send them to us via the Scouting the Refs website, email Hey Ref at scoutingtherefs.com, and make sure you're following the social channels. For Josh, it's at scoutingtherefs on Twitter and Instagram. And for me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and on Instagram. Okay, so we'll talk about calls made, we'll talk about calls that weren't made, we'll have a little clarification on some of the rules, perhaps a few of them little known by, well, everyone. And also, I wanna make mention of the game that you made mention of, The Doc Emmerich bingo cards are (laughs) back for the Stanley Cup final. I love it.
1: Yeah. Something that's uh, just hard to resist when you hear Doc and his very descriptive words and, and how he's describing the play and talking about the shots on goal and the passes and what the puck is doing and, no better way to celebrate that than to print out a couple bingo cards and play along at home and wait for that forked or knifed or rattled or chalele or whatever word Doc happens to have come to the top of his mind while he's announcing the game. If you get ladled, that's a good one. <laughs> yes. That's a tough one to find. He
0: uses it occasionally. And I, I just I just love listening to Doc Embrick when he's doing a regular season game, a Stanley Cup playoff game. It doesn't matter. He, he adds to the broadcast, and it is it is wonderful to enjoy and, and to hear his genuine enthusiasm, I think, as much as anything else, Josh.
1: It's always fun when you have a broadcaster who genuinely loves the sport and loves what he's doing. And no question, Doc does, and uh, you know, we can enjoy his colorful language as well. Let's go back
0: and review a
1: little bit about game one. We'll
0: talk about game two as well. But there was a specific incident in game number one, right at the end of the second period, that drew plenty of attention from the players on the ice, broadcasters during the intermission, and more. It was when Tampa Bay Lightning forward Patrick Maroon, well, let's just say had a brain cramp, and decided he was going to shoot the puck into the Dallas Stars bench at the end of the second period. I guess I sort of... Well, I don't really understand his thinking, as I said, it was sort of a brain cramp, but Tampa's down, they were frustrated, he was frustrated, maybe he's trying to stir things up, as opposed to fighting, maybe he's trying to do something to get his team going, to get his team motivated, it earned him a 10 minute misconduct. Now, this is where a little clarification is perhaps in order, there is some discretion to the referees in this case as to what kind of penalty is applied. Am I correct?
1: Well, we're, we're looking at unsportsmanlike, right? And in this case, you've got to look at the misconduct penalty and you've got to look at the minor penalty and see what criteria fall under each. And really the minor penalty is more of, you know, hair pulling, biting. Well, when it's called Mm. offensive language, throwing things onto the ice from the bench, things like that are a minor penalty. You move up to the 10 minute misconduct for persisting in any of those things, throwing things out of the playing area or challenging the ruling of official i'm i'm gonna stop right there todd 10 minute misconduct for challenging or disputing the ruling of an official how do we get through a game (laughs) don't see that one called all the time but (laughs) it's on the books and in this case shooting a puck off the playing surface comes under the purview of that 75-4 for the misconduct penalty
0: Okay, so it's is it is shooting the puck into the opponent's bench mentioned
1: specifically in the rule book. It's not. And and for a a play that I would think comes up somewhat frequently, mm-hmm. uh, I'm surprised they don't have a specific call for it. So it really just falls under that that 75-4 rule. Now, I will say that depending on interpretation, this is where we talk about discretion and applying yeah. what what the guy was trying to do. Linesman Matt McPherson was right in front of Maroon. The puck went just behind his back before it hit the star's bench. And that falls under rule 44, which is a three game suspension for yeah. shooting an object in the general direction of an official. So it certainly was in his general direction as he was standing in front of the bench. Certainly it didn't appear that Maroon was trying to target the official, but as we're looking at rules and, and what applies, I guess we can say he dodged one by not picking up that particular penalty, but the, the broader unsportsmanlike for just shooting it into the bench in general
0: this is where we find some difficulty sometimes when there are some fans that suggest well they have to call everything they have to call it by the letter of the law every everything that is in the rule book should be penalized at every infraction that is seen well as you mentioned there's there'd be no way we'd get through a game with disputing an official's call i have never heard a player agree with an official's call (laughs) So I I don't know how you, I don't know how you get that, but this is where you have to,
1: you do have to manage your circumstances a little bit. You do. And you're taking, I don't want to call it game management, but you're, you're taking the whole game into consideration and what are the circumstances surrounding the call and, You see plenty of times when officials grant a certain amount of leeway or or allow a limited amount of protest or complaint because they know it's coming. They know the guys need to vent. They're not looking to nitpick every possible penalty. And and same thing with some infractions that we see on the ice where they're looking for dangerous plays or distinct advantages or possession changes and and those kinds of things that really impact the play versus calling each rule by the letter. And it it is a tough balance, especially – when you think that that particular penalty should have been called as a fan of a certain team? Just to put a bow on this
0: area, if we if we did perhaps include shooting the puck deliberately out of the ice surface, whether it goes into the opponent's bench or not, this would essentially fall into the puck over glass and a two-minute minor would apply. Maybe that's how how we could look at it because everyone
1: seems to be disagreeing on what how the rule should have been applied. Well, that's an interesting argument. I mean, you are looking at it at a player deliberately shooting the puck out of play, which is a two-minute minor. So uh, you're kind of combining things here, and I'd have to go back and see if he was in the defensive zone or or not at the time that the puck went out. But uh, that is an interesting take, and you know something that the league, if they wanted to make a a minor tweak to specify in there that either doing it when it's – Deliberately into the opponent's bench, we're going to call that two minute penalty and give you a 10 minute misconduct, or something like mm. that might be something that they could consider. It's certainly worth considering just because it was deliberate. And you notice that Tampa, as a result of the 10 minute misconduct, didn't lose any manpower on the ice. So the team wasn't penalized, but Maroon did miss half of what was left of the game.
0: Yes, it, and again, it's interesting because Tampa only had uh, eleven forwards dressed. They had they had seven defensemen dressed for that game. So it's it's a bit of a penalty, but a different kind of penalty. So yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe there's just a way to make it more specific. But all right, we'll we'll move on to another to another rule that you caught that I think was very interesting. You mentioned this on on social media. I caught it on Twitter at Scouting the refs, Anton Hudobin was not using
1: regulation tape on his stick in game number two. No, he wasn't. And he's been busted for this before. (laughs) Just over a month ago, goaltenders are required to wrap the top of their stick, where, where the knob is, with white tape. It has to be white. This was something that was put into play with goal judges and with review. Before review was at the level of, detail and visual clarity that it's at now to avoid anyone mistaking that maybe the puck had crossed the line when they're looking from either the overhead camera or the goal judge that used to be sitting behind the net. So white tape is required on the stick. Hudobin was caught back on August 16th for for a green knob. He put a piece of tape over it, I guess just enough to satisfy the rule, and uh, they let him play on. So it looks like that white tape is gone. Now he's back to green tape.
0: It's amazing how weird goalies are, aren't they? Because they, <laughs> it. I have seen this before. I, gosh, I remember years ago. I think it was John Van Beesbroek when he was playing with the Panthers. He used to put colored tape yes. on the top, and it,
1: w- it was the Avalanche that said, "Hey, you can't do that," just to try to get him off his game and upset him. Well, that's the funny thing. There's no penalty for doing this. It's a violation of the rule book, and the. I guess there would be if he weren't going to comply, but th- there's no minor penalty to be called for the tape color itself. So you have a trainer, or in some cases, I've even seen the linesman come out with the white tape and wrap it around <laughs> the end of the stick. I'm surprised, and I guess they didn't need to do it yet. So if if I'm John Cooper in the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'm sitting on this one. Like you mentioned, I, I want to pull it out when it would be a distraction. If we're 0-0, getting late in the game, end of the third period— I want to point it out to the referee then. I want to do it at some point when it's going to get me an advantage. And Hudobin's setting himself up for it, and, and maybe he's expecting it so he wouldn't be impacted. But if I'm the Lightning, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm sitting on this one until I can benefit from pointing out to the officials that he's got an illegal stick. Dress code violation, <laughs> Anton Hudobin. I want to hear that announcement is what I want to hear. I love it. That's a great way to put it.
0: I love it. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's powered by Team Stripes. Check them out online. GoTeamStripes.com. You have also updated on the ScoutingTheRefs.com website the coaches challenge tracker because we had one and we had a successful one for an
1: offside that would have resulted in another Tampa Bay Lightning goal. We did. Yeah, it was surprising. We'd gone, what, five, almost six days without a coach's challenge. It had been a long stretch there, <laughs> yeah. but the stars uh, improved two for two on coach's challenge for offside. It was, I, I would say, a pretty pretty straightforward one of entering the zone before the puck crossed the line. So uh, an obvious one in that particular situation and, and one that you know, no no harm, no foul there. It didn't really right. impact the outcome of the game. It made it a little bit closer, a little tighter at the end of the game there. But a good challenge and a smart one by Dallas. And it's it's an interesting thing that some will say, well, how could he miss this call? How could the
0: referee or the linesman in this case not see the play? Well, if 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 you're on the ice, the linesman, in addition to making the call, whether the play is onside or he should be whistling it for offside, is trying to stay away from the play and allow the players to have whatever room they need and move in whichever direction they want to go. They also have to avoid contact and and get themselves in a safe position so that they can make that call. And I believe you told me it was Steve Barton that was, was making this call.
1: He was pushed out of position because of the play and was not at the ideal angle to see the puck crossing the line. Right. And that's, that's all a consideration. You know, you can't, you can't stay put on the wall or you're going to be in the way of the play. So you're Mm -hmm. moving with the players. You're in some cases, and I think this was one of them you're pulling off the boards to give them a lane. If you've got players or the puck moving along the boards there. So you're, you're definitely moving. It's, it's a fluid thing. And I I think in some cases too, you're looking straight down the line and depending on where the players are as they're crossing the blue line. In this case, it, it looked to me that the player carrying the puck over actually was directly in Barton's line of sight and blocked the player further across the ice that had gone in ahead of the puck, where at that moment, based on his line of sight, that was the right call. That was the call that he saw based on what happened. And remember, it's it's one guy in one spot, and it all depends on his line of sight and what his vision is. And if it's blocked out by the one attacking player, it's going to make it that much harder to get it right in real time. But hey, we've got coaches' challenges, and in this case, that helped make the right call. And and this, that's just the point I was going to make, is the system worked perfectly.
0: There was uh, an error made because of uh, a poor visibility angle. The coach has the opportunity to view the play on on monitors while they are on the bench. And Rick Bonus said, yes, we want to challenge this for offside. The system worked as, as efficiently
1: as it could in this case. And uh, one thing to add is I, I think that this also illustrates when the system's working well, that it was the right move to change it from a timeout to a penalty because yes. whether or not you've used your timeout, it gives that coach the opportunity in a case like this where where they can readily and, and confidently challenge the play to say, you know what, we need to get the call right. It doesn't matter if I've used my timeout or not. And I think it it makes the, the coach's job a little bit easier there and it makes it easier for the league that they're not you know hamstringing these coaches and, and preventing them from challenging a play that they feel confident would be overturned, as was the case in game two.
0: Also in game number two, it was it was a, a much more intense and a more physical game between the Dallas Stars and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think that was reflected in some of the penalties that were assessed in this game, and one in particular for interference. There were a couple of plays and a couple of hits in this game that I think were, I guess let's call them borderline uh, there were hits that were maybe a, a smidge late as I'm watching the game one time in real time that could have been penalized. This is a judgment call in real time that referees have to make, whether a hit is, is late or or not. Is, is there a technique? Is there something that they do? Is it just simply years of experience that go into the determination in a split second to making a call of that nature?
1: Well certainly you can't underestimate the experience that does go into it and the the number of hits that these guys have seen over their accumulated years in the NHL and working their way up to the league to get that timing. But you're not necessarily counting in your head when you're when you're watching it to see when the puck left that player and when the hit came to see elite hit it's it's really a lot around feel. And uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you Todd. I think there were, there were definitely a few that to me looked like borderline when it came to interference, borderline when it came to boarding. Some heavy hits, some good hits, and some that were a little less clear on the the legality. But you want to try to set that expectation. And I think for these guys, it would be enlightening to hear the mic'd up officials from that game to hear how much was being shared. You know, or were they letting the guys know when it came to Jamie Benn delivering a hit or McDonough? Were they saying, you know, watch that. That's a late hit. We're going to call these. Or was this within what the standard was for them in that game? Always an interesting thing, but yet yeah, it really comes down to your experience and, and what you've done, and that's one of the things that the league's looking at when they're evaluating which officials are moving on to the cup finals to be able to make those calls, to be able to do it in real time. It's not an easy job, and we have player safety who can step in after the fact and certainly levy any additional fines or suspensions, which I, I've heard none coming out of game two as of right now. But yeah, it, it did get a little scary out there. I'll, I'll admit yeah. that. The intensity level, as I mentioned, went went up significantly in game number
0: two. And and that's understandable. That happens in playoff series between teams. And the further you go in the playoffs, the higher the, the intensity level will continue to rise as you get closer and closer to that, to that ultimate prize of winning the Stanley Cup championship. And there's no way for referees to be counting for a fraction of a second as to whether or not a hit is late or not for a game that is moving at breakneck speed much of the time. They don't have the benefit of going frame by frame on digital video review the way the Department of Player Safety does, but they do... Have a sense and they have a feel and it's it's funny <laughs> this goes back to the the players not agreeing with the referees call in the in the game but blake como and he was penalized for interference because his hit was late and he said it's like no way he had the puck what's the pro-? except the puck was already gone and be, that makes it a late hit and a penalty
1: right yeah and that's that's certainly a part of what you're looking at when it comes to interference is you know, who's in possession of the puck how how long ago did he release it are you impeding his progress all those factors there but the 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 hit that one in particular I didn't have an issue with the call there there may have been a few others that I, I thought should have also been penalized throughout the game that weren't and mm-hmm. it's really from an officiating standpoint like I said it's it's trying to set that standard you don't want things to get out of control you don't want the physicality to escalate to the point where it's it's becoming dangerous and I think that's where you want to make sure that you're consistent you're communicating with the players and the benches and you're you're telling them to watch the late hits and Like we've heard before, you've got to make an example of a guy and then you've got to keep that standard consistent for the rest of the game to make sure it, it doesn't revert to later dangerous type hits. The cliche used
0: by many broadcasters is, oh, they always get the guy that retaliates. And in some cases, it's true that the referee will not catch an initial call because there's so much to see out on the ice. But. Even if you only get a player that retaliates, and there, there were some incidents of that in game number two, I'm okay with that as well because it's it, that's going to stop the shenanigans before they get too far down the line.
1: Hey, Ideally, you see the whole thing, you send both guys to the box and, and you make an example of it, but I think yeah. you've got a point there that you can only call what you see, and if penalizing a guy for retaliating keeps another guy from retaliating, that's okay too. We've seen plenty of times when you've got a clean hit and players come together afterwards and uh, the the team that delivered the clean hit is now in the power play because right. the guy who retaliated or came hunting for him, he picked up the penalty. And even in some cases when uh, you know player's injured on the play, even though it was a clean hit, it seems like, well, this is all backwards. They've got a guy that's injured. Now they've got a guy going to the box. But you're calling that retaliation It's not for the players to determine whether or not the hit was clean or dirty at the time. And certainly, you don't want your teammate blown up with a big hit. But you can't go hunting for the guy that did it either. So I think in some cases, you want to get the penalties when they happen. But you always want to get the retaliation. Because you don't want, as you put it so appropriately, you don't want more shenanigans. Well,
0: not on the ice, but shenanigans at the appropriate time and at the appropriate venue can certainly be an awful lot of fun. And I don't think we're talking about hockey anymore.
1: (laughs) No, and I don't know if those types of shenanigans are going on in the bubble right now. So, (laughs) (laughs) I I suspect
0: that they are not going on right now, but the winning team that ultimately hoists the Stanley Cup, I think there will be extreme shenanigans and they will be much deserved.
1: The Scouting the Refs podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out, goteamstripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit scoutingtherefs.com.